practical Kenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR with Unani Valdainig. Hello, hello. You're very welcome along to The Art Show. It is Unani Valdainig with you until 7 o'clock this evening and really looking forward to your company. Happy Iha by the way, if that's a thing. I've just made it one, if not. Coming up on this evening's show, we'll be talking about the Festival of Samhain, traditionally the official start of winter marked on November 1st. Sean O'Argon will be joining me in the studio a little bit later to chat about that. We'll also be meeting playwright Mark Craddock from Carlo's Little Theatre Society. His play, Heiligenstad, is currently competing in the One Act Play Festival right across the country. And our artist in profile this week is Shannon Carl. Shannon is currently on the Emerging Curator Development Programme with Kilkenny County Council Arts Office. So all of that to come before seven. But first off this evening, I am wondering, have you been to see the film The Miracle Club? I was so looking forward to it with a cast that includes acting heavyweights like Dame Maggie Smith, Cathy Bates, Laura Linney and interestingly, Sean O'Casey's great-granddaughter Agnes O'Casey. But I came out scratching my head a little bit for reasons I'll get into in just a moment. So I decided on behalf of the art show to send a listener along to get a second opinion. And here is the review of Kira Hayes. Spoiler alert, she didn't love it. Miracle Club was a disappointment of a film. It was set up and billed as being just a, a sugary, sweet, sentimental feast, sort of like the Marigold Hotel. But it wasn't. The subject matter they decided to tackle in it should have been dealt with with more care and subtlety and finesse. It was a confused film. Um, you could feel rewrites in it. There was surprise scenes in Act 3 that I don't don't know how made it through the editing process, but obviously someone on the creative team felt so attached to that one moment that it now sits there, out of time, out of context, and adds nothing but hurts everything that precedes it. The resolution, the happy ending, is forced and unnecessary given the subjects and the topics that they discuss. And then there are resolutions, there are redemption arcs for certain characters which are, again, completely unearned. And misplaced. The film could have been something amazing. It could have dealt with some very interesting topics to fix women in Ireland in the 1960s, but it didn't have the conviction of its beliefs. I think it wanted to be an all things to all people, at which point it just became an insult. In the performances, Laura Linney is perfect. She is a standout. She is a subtle performance. There's real emotion behind it, and I wish they had done more with her character. Kathy Bates' accent travels around the world. And again, they had such potential with how she was originally written to have this love and anger and eruption of emotion and did nothing with her. And poor Maggie Smith, normally a delight, took me out of the movie every time I watched her. It felt that she wasn't just portraying the physical and emotional pain of the character, but that she herself was being tortured to be present and perform. It was beyond distracting. It is not good enough to be enjoyable, nor bad enough to be a hate watch. It's just disappointment. There you go. That is a view of Kira Hayes, a listener to the show that we sent along to see the Miracle Club. Safe to say that she was not a fan. I didn't have quite a strong reaction to it as Kira did. 
why did I like it? Well, I was in Lourdes when I was in school. I was lucky enough to be sent on a pilgrimage there to help out. And I have lovely memories of the town and the grotto and the baths. So I really enjoyed seeing all of those places again. And actually, the scenes where the characters played by Dame Maggie Smith and Kathy Bates were getting into those cold baths were a delight, I thought. But I do agree with Kira that the story seemed a little forced and a little romanticised and didn't really ring true. The accents were very problematic for me. They really jarred. And interestingly enough, actually, I met one of the screenwriters, the writer, uh, he's Carlo-based, Jimmy Smallhorn. It was his original story. And then he went on to be one of the screenwriters. And I asked him about the casting of those British and American actresses in key roles, which is always something I sort of question, especially when the accent doesn't carry, which I don't think it did, particularly in the case of Kathy Bates. Anyway, he said that those big players, that was his choice, that he really wanted it. And he wanted those big names so that the story would be told worldwide. And in fairness, fairness, the story is being told worldwide. So there you go. I would love to know what you thought of the film. If you've seen it, 0833069696. Send us in your review, whether you agree or disagree with Kira, who definitely didn't like it, and me, who had some mixed feelings. We'll be back after this with Shannon Carl, our artist in profile this week. With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Unani Valdenig. Earlier on this year, Shannon Carl was announced as the fifth curator to avail of the Emerging Curator Development Programme with Kilkenny County Council Arts Office. And Shannon is our artist in profile this week. My name is Shannon Carl. I'm interested in working with environmentally focused artists and I research ecological and sustainable art practices. The outcomes of my research over the last few years have been kind of relatively project dependent, but usually includes curating exhibitions, commissioning artists to make artworks, organising themed events and then a lot of lecturing, writing and publishing as well. I'm originally from Dublin, um, but that being said, I grew up in the Dublin mountains, so it didn't feel very urban. It felt a lot more rural, like we had deer that would come into the garden from the mountains and, you know, my neighbours had fields and goats in them. Um, I think that growing up in the Dublin mountains has definitely had a significant influence on my practice and on my research. Um, I was lucky that I got to spend a lot of time playing outdoors in the fields and going up to the woods. And I think because of this, I kind of developed quite a deep kind of affinity, I guess, for the landscape or for our natural world. And I feel like this has influenced my values and motivations as I'm kind of as I develop a curatorial practice in the arts and work with different types of artists. A point in my career this year as a curator was being selected as this year's participant for the Emerging Curator Development Programme with the Arts Office in Kilkenny. So this has been a really wonderful opportunity and has given me the chance to get familiar with a new arts community and to expand my network outside of Dublin, where I've been based the last couple of years. Um, so as part of this program, I've been organising themed exhibitions and events based in Kilkenny throughout the year. Um, and I've been kind of getting to know and getting to work with a diverse range of Kilkenny based artists and seeing, you know, what's happening with the art on the art scene here in Kilkenny and, you know, what's happening here environmentally as well. 
I mean, there's such a thriving art scene in Kilkenny that I think it's a great place to be if you're working in the arts. There's so much creative talent and I think it's been a real privilege having the opportunity to work with the Arts Office of Kilkenny this year and getting to meet those, you know, artists, you know, getting to check out different art spaces, getting to spend time, you know, walking around the city and looking at all the kind of fabulous medieval buildings and in general just, you know, it's a great place to where you can soak up the kind of creativity and liveliness and culture of the city and its people. My most recent project, which has just finished, was an exhibition called You Never Miss the Water Until the Well until the well runs dry um, it was d- on display in the She Am's house on Rosin Street which is a beautiful building that was built originally in 1582 this was a multidisciplinary exhibition um, so that means the work on display included a mix of painting, sculpture there was a sound piece and a video work I worked with um, two artists of Kilkenny, Bernadette Kiley and Mary Conroy and two artists from outside of Kilkenny, Laura Skihin and Claudia Brexmid. Um, so, you know, Ireland's an island nation. We are surrounded by water. And the artists in this exhibition were kind of challenging our ideas, I guess, around that abundance of water and uncovering the complexities of our relationship to water. Uh, you know, in places such as Kilkenny, you know, we're the only city in Ireland without a port. I feel like the connection to rivers and fresh water is, is especially strong. Um, so these artists were making work that was exploring themes like flooding, looking at our local rivers and water sources, uh, looking at the changing landscape and kind of exploring issues such as melting ice caps and rising sea levels. And, you know, the aim of the exhibition was to kind of get people thinking around that connection that we have to water here in Ireland and, you know, to think about the possibilities of that relationship going forward in the future as we face um, oncoming climate change. Um, I think working as a creator or an artist, I think um, time and space is something that's really important to your practice. You know, it's really important to take the time to reflect sometimes on what you've done or what you've made, the achievements that you're proud of. Um, I think it's important to think about what you've learned, what you would change or do differently next time or what you'd like to expand on in the future. Um, you know, having the opportunity to take time and space really can help you hone your practice. And I think it's a really important part of the process when you do work creatively. Um, you know, you need to take the time to support your creative mind and developing new ideas, fostering new connections and getting inspired for future projects. So while, you know, we live in such a busy life today, it is hard to kind of take that time. I do think that's something that is really important and people should kind of try to make it a crucial part of their practice. For me, I would say the most rewarding part of working as a curator is just getting to meet so many wonderful and interesting people you know i'm i'm so inspired by the artists and the arts practitioners who i work with um and aside from the amazing artists that i've been lucky to kind of work with and to learn from 
I really enjoy getting to meet new people at exhibitions. You know, that's a big part of hosting events, getting to meet people who are coming to the events. Um, in my most recent project that I was telling you about, the exhibition, You Never Miss the Water Till the Well Runs Dry, um, we had an engagement area in the project where people could leave notes or a reflection or kind of a drawing or a sketch in relation to what they saw in the exhibition or, you know, the the works that they were engaging with. And it's been so lovely since that project has closed to be able to, you know, read through all of those kind of notes that people left over the course of the exhibition. And we had over 40 responses. So I think, you know, um, you know, getting to hear from people and meet different people is something that's really rewarding about my job. And I love being able to learn and get inspired from other people and their kind of thinking and ideas. Um, if I was to give advice to somebody interested in working as an artist or the arts, um, I would tell them to find what you're passionate about and stick to that. You know, there's so many people doing wonderful things in the arts and art at the moment. So I think following your passion makes your work more personal and it means that people can kind of relate to what you're doing. And when you do that, when you're following something that you're passionate about, it'll be easier to kind of carve out a niche for yourself and have this kind of area or select area of interest, you know, in which you work. So that's definitely something that I think is important. And also, you know, sometimes you are going to come up against, you know, resistance or, you know, failure sometimes or rejection. So I think you really it can be hard so it really is important to follow something that you're passionate about or something that's important to you so that in those moments you know you you feel capable of you know to carry on even throughout that and um that's just an important part of working in the arts and it happens to everybody but that's why it's so important to do something that you're, you're really passionate about if i had one wish for the arts in Ireland, it would be more funding. <laughs> no, I'm always going to say that, but uh, I do think making funding accessible, you know, uh, especially to a wider group of people is important. But maybe aside from funding, um, if I had a wish for the arts in Ireland, it would be, I would like to see a move towards more kind of more sustainability in the visual arts. You know, I think um, it's really important that we consider the impact that we can have, you know, on each other and on our environments and on kind of the more than human world. So I think, you know, whether that's looking at more environmentally or ecologically friendly art practices or, you know, it could be done by considering the kind of carbon footprint of shows and events or even just, you know, sharing knowledge on sustainable art practices and sustainable alternatives, you know, I think is really important because, for me, you know, I feel like we're at this critical moment in time, um, you know, and it's important to kind of make the changes that we want to see in the world and to make these changes to help guide us towards a more sustainable future for societal and planetary well-being, which I think is really important at the moment. Um, you can find out more about me and my work on Instagram. Um, I post really regularly there. So my Instagram handle is at Shannon Maria Carroll. Uh, so no underscores, no full stops or anything, just at Shannon Maria Carroll. And thanks so much for having me. 
That was Shannon Carl there, the curator, well, sorry, the emerging curator. She's on that development program with Kilkenny County Council Arts Office at the moment. So lovely to hear from her about her art and her practice and lovely also to hear from Mark Craddock, who joins me in studio this evening to talk about Heiligenstadt, his play. But before we get to that, Mark, if I may, you mentioned that you've been to see the Miracle Club. So can you balance out Kira Hayes's negative review that we heard earlier? <laughs> Um, yes, uh, I actually brought my uh, my daughter, who's twelve years of age, and her two friends to the cinema yesterday to watch that. And um, <clears throat> uh, I have to say, it was a much better experience than bringing them to Barbie, which I had to do <laughs> earlier in the year. And, For uh, you, but did they enjoy it? Twelve is oh, they love Barbie. I have to say, but they enjoyed yesterday as did well. Did they? Which I'm surprised at now. My uh, my daughter and the two girls are great fans of Maggie Smith from okay. Harry Potter and Downton Abbey. And uh, in fairness, she has a huge following because of that. Um, they wouldn't be so knowledgeable about Kathy Bates and uh, the other actors there, like Stephen Ray as well. Um, but there was um, there was actually a decent crowd at the cinema. It was an afternoon screening, and there was um, three or four ladies that were sitting behind me, and they were absolutely having a ball. They loved it. it. Well, listen, you're a good one to ask this because I did find the accents, particularly I'm going to say Kathy Bates. I yeah. thought it was painful listening to it. I, I'm not quite sure what accent Kathy Bates was doing for half the film. To be oh, honest, for sure. But, uh, and then it kind of went more dub as I got into the second half. But um, it was a bit of a strange one for the first half, her accent for me. But I think, look, um, it's not an Oscar winning film. Um uh, it's 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 a slightly twee story, but it's a good comedy drama. It was funny. The bats were funny, weren't they? It when was they... funny. It was heartfelt. Anybody's been to Lords, um, when enjoyed. I think in terms of um, and and the community aspect of the sixties has done quite well. The cinematography. I think in Ireland sometimes when we have outsiders come in and do the Irish accent, they're always going to be picked at, and uh, there's so we have to be forgiving there. I think there's only very few examples of. Do we have to be? But do you know what I thought was a pity? I know Brenda Fricker's voice was in the film, but yes. I thought she would have played maybe the the Maggie Smith character. That being said, the problem for me was really Kathy Bates and Brenda would not have been of an age but to play that character. But then I didn't think Kathy was either. She was the childhood friend of Laura Linney and there's mm-hmm. at least four World Cups between those women so I couldn't make sense <laughs> yeah. of that either. Yeah. Well, it was, she, she was somebody that obviously Laura Linney uh, leaned on when she was younger in her character as Chrissy. Um, and, yeah, yeah, but I needed that explained to me, Mark, because the way they told the story was that, that the three of them were like, you know, hanging around together, which didn't make sense when there's that many years between you. Anyway, yeah. I suppose that's the minor problems. <laughs> Let's talk about unproblematic productions and specifically Holigenstad. So you had a great weekend in Gores Bridge, I believe. We did. We were actually in Ace before that on Thursday. Now we performed in Gores Bridge on Saturday. And um, I have to say it was a very well-run festival. Um, this is the one-act drama festivals and it's the time of year for that. So it kicked off last week around the country. Um, and... Um, uh, Mary Meany and her crew in, in uh, Gores Bridge ran a fantastic festival. I believe they had record numbers for it. Um, and there was a lovely award on um, on Sunday night when the awards were given out for Mick Sheedy, who was uh, somebody who gave great service to the community there and the theatre group there, Kilcomney Theatre Group, for many years. And uh, that was quite moving. And we're quite lucky then um, in terms of we won our section, which is the confined category, um, as Best Production, and Jamie Dockery got Best Actor in it. Um, your your own Edward Hayden came in uh, with a production, The Lover, Harold Pinter's The Lover, second on Sunday night, but they beat us in Nace, uh, Edward. So um, 
uh, that was good fun, you know. And, um, <laughs> nice so, to get a bit of exact a bit of revenge, always good. Tell me how that works because you go. How, how do you decide what festivals you actually compete in, or how does that work? Can you explain you, to us? You apply to as many as you can, really, to try and get okay. six. You're only allowed a maximum of six, and I think it's interesting for anyone who hasn't been to one of these to go to it because um, you see three short plays going on. They're each about forty five minutes long or thereabouts. Um, at the end of the evening, a, a judge gets up, an adjudicator, and he critiques each production. And he sp- speaks a bit about the play as well and the script, but critiques each production in terms of the actors, the direction, the lighting, the sound, any other aspects of the production to set. Um, and then scores it. And then at the end of the festival, after three or four nights, gives out awards as best actor, best actress, and best production, and so on. Um, so it's quite competitive, and you can be critiqued quite well. So you need to make sure you have your... You know, your, your, your eyes dotted. Your steel boots across. on. But come here, do you get any kudos for having written? So you were the writer of the play that you, you put on as opposed to doing another playwright's work. So is there any consideration or award going on background? Not officially, no. There's a, there's a scoring system and, um, it's more risky for, uh, a group to take on a new play. Um, it's something that's encouraged, but there isn't anything in the scoring system that facilitates that. Um, so they have to be brave. Of course, um, we always try and bring new blood and new things and new creations new creations into drama into theatre so it's a way of doing that but no you don't get any extra points Okay, now tell me where the inspiration came from so your play is about Beethoven as a young well he's, he's, he's 32 at the time that's very young and Mark come on that's very young yes uh, I think we're mm-hmm, I won't comment on age but uh, <laughs> I will it's very young so, so your inspiration for that came from yes, where are yeah. you musical I'm not musical at all, actually, and um, uh, I was driving on the road in 2019, and I listened to a bit of Beethoven, uh, and the radio presenter came on afterwards and spoke a bit about Beethoven, and it was the Ninth Symphony, and described how uh, he was on stage and he couldn't hear the the symphony at all, uh, and even when the crowd applauded at the end, he had his back to the audience, and um, he was looking at the orchestra players and the the singers. And uh, one of them came out and turned him around so that he could see the audience were applauding him. And um, so that got me interested in Beethoven. And uh, about three or four months later, and I was reading up about him and reading his letters, um, I was on a work trip in Vienna for meetings and it took an extra day. And I went to the Beethoven Museum in a village called Heiligenstadt, which is about eight or nine kilometers outside Vienna. So it didn't take long uh, by modern motor vehicle. Back in the day in Beethoven's time, it would have taken about an hour by horse uh, from Vienna. And uh, I was really moved when I got to the Heiligenstadt Museum and I came across this document called The Last Will and Testament of Beethoven, uh, otherwise known as the Heiligenstadt Testament. And he wrote that when he was 32 to his two brothers to leave everything to them. But he wrote about his life in it and he wrote about how he was losing his hearing and how it was affecting him and um, it was. It's a very, very moving document, and uh, and the, the the setting and the museum and that document just moved me. And I thought, you know, I have to write a story about this. Um, so I continued researching it during lockdown, and um, out of that kind of laboratory of work on it um, came out this play about Heiligenstadt. So it's inspired very much by that last will and testament document. Now he lived for another twenty five years afterwards. Uh, one of his older brother his, his, the middle brother Carl died about 10 years after the document but he kept it with him all through his life Beethoven and after he died when he was 57 um, it was found in his in his particulars and that, that was when it was first seen and um, 
uh, so it, it was it was meaning for him that he kept it with him all through his life. Well, and do you know what I think is lovely there? It's like radio goals for any of us involved in radio production that that program that you were listening to just ignite that interest in you and that you followed through and created something so unique and so interesting. Mm. Exactly, and hopefully people feel that when they see the play as well. Um, so a lot of it is about um, him tackling his demons when he's in Heiligenstadt. Essentially, the Beethoven that went to Heiligenstadt was uh, a guy who was more well-known for being a pianist performer. He'd written many piano sonatas, sonatas and so on, but he hadn't, he'd only written one symphony, and um, his orchestral pieces and so on weren't as in numerous as maybe they were for Mozart at the same age and Haydn and so on and uh, but he was tackling really serious hearing loss that had been going on for six years at this stage so he kind of had to face his dragon so to speak when he's in Heiligenstadt and it's you know from history we know that the Beethoven that came out of Heiligenstadt was inspired was driven had a different type of music that he was playing so there's always been a question mark about well what happened to him in Heiligenstadt so that's really what the, the play is about Oh that sounds great and come here you've still got three more fest- no four more you've festivals four more festivals to go yes So tell uh, us where you're going Letter Kenny. Uh, if you're passing by, you're welcome to drop in. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Letter Kenny on Friday, Bellana on Sunday, Cork the following Friday. Um, hopefully, we don't need a, a boat to get there. And uh, and then Scary's uh, the following Friday, which is on I think November 10th. It's intense, isn't it? The period of like for the actors and for all the the director and whatnot. You no, know what? it's very intense. Um, I'd I'm say gonna... you need a good, good crew and a good group and a yes. good director and everything. And fortunately, we have great crack. Um, it's a very, very good group that we have involved there, a very talented group too, so that really helps. It, it, it does, I'm sure. I'm going to uh, take a short break. I'm here with Mark Craddock and he's talking about Holligenstad, his play that's currently competing on the One Act Festival circuit, is that what we call it? That's right, yes. And we're going to hear more about that and we're going to talk about the Festival of Samhain right after these. With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Unani Valdenig. You're very welcome back. I'm here with Mark Craddock of Carlos Little Theatre Society. I always struggle to get that out, Mark. The society doesn't want to come with it. But anyway, he's from um, the society and he's here telling us about their play, Holligenstad, which is on the circuit at the moment. Now, I wanted to ask you this. You have written that play. It's not your first um, rodeo, but how do you feel once you've, you know, finished your last little bit of writing and you've handed it over to the director and to the crew, where does your involvement end and how does that feel? Um, the uh, I, I n- never think it's as c- clean as that uh, because the, um, in order to kind of close the circle of any uh, new play, you need to go into the rehearsal room and, and see and hear how it's working to see if what you have written works or does it need rewriting. And um, so when you hand over the play, it's still a work in progress. And really, you need two or three weeks in rehearsal to be there to see, does that work? Does that work? What do we need to change? And it actually makes it a bit more remarkable for me about what happens with Beethoven when he composed his works. Because for uh, 25 years or so of the last years of his life, he couldn't really hear his music. So the same as a violinist composing something, they'd play the notes on the piano. You'd play the notes and see, how did that work? And he wasn't able to have the benefit of that. And yet he still wrote masterworks. That's part of what inspired it. It's just incredible that people can do that, not just Beethoven, but there are people like blind people that can paint so well. Um, but certainly, in just in terms of ordinarily writing a play, you need to work in it, see it as a work, and so on. So it's very much a close process between the director and the and the writer, 
until you finally think, yeah, that's finished. But who decides that it's the end point? So, for example, if I was the director... No, the, right, the writer The writer does, does. okay. Now, the, the director, you do have to give the director space and let them off and do it. Um, and they're responsible for the actors and so on. But ultimately, you're trying to bring a vision to it. And so you're trying to articulate that at all times through the process. But in terms of when the script is finished, it's the writer that decides that. Yes, but do they do anything to it? And you can see it because no oh, one's yes. listening, Mark. No one's listening. But do they do anything that you didn't like or that maybe you wouldn't have done if you were directing? Mm. Well, um, the, one of the things I hope I have in that script is that there's space for the director to bring in his or her th- touches to it. And that absolutely has happened with Deirdre Fleming doing it. And she had some lovely ideas and touches of her own. Um, and I'm more than happy for that to happen with it. Um no, it is, if there are things that I didn't like about it or I think, no, that's going the wrong direction, I might speak with the director about it. Okay, so you, you, you would find some sort of resolution that, to totally, that. Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super. But it must be amazing to see your work just coming to life, which must be really great. It's amazing. It's one of the great experiences, to be honest, you know. And uh, I've seen it so many times in rehearsal and in performance now. And each time I, I, I get great joy from that. You get super joy. Well, I was actually getting worried that Sean O'Argon had been taken by the puka, but I'm delighted to report that he has landed in studio on a broomstick. Not on a broomstick, excuse me, Sean. You're really welcome to studio, Sean. We're thrilled that you're in one piece. How are you? Well, absolutely fine. I'm normally on my rower, but I wasn't going to chance that tonight. But anyway, it's a, it's 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 a, it's a fun night, I'd say. Unfortunately, the the trick or treaters are being rained on, so it's it's a wet one. It looked like it was a bit quiet as I was coming out. The, Come here, you didn't the get an egg fired at you because that's seems to be a Halloween tradition that I could do without personally but if I were on a bike I think I might be nervous yeah I know previdies quite sometimes get eggs alright but thankfully maybe that's gone with retirement time I'm, I'm t- no you're only a year out of the game <laughs> I'm joined if you've just joined us I'm joined in studio by Mark Craddock Mark is the writer of Heiligenstadt and that is the entry of Carlo's Little Theatre Society in this year's one act play circuit we've been talking about that production and writing generally and we're now joined by a Samhain expert who makes you that I do, Sean. I have decided that Sean Oregon is going to be our sound. The Pagan Festival. In NMD of Lajas, the Pagan Festival. Is right. <laughs> Indeed, Pagan expert in the house. And um, listen, we're going to talk a little bit about those traditions. So tell us what you know and then we'll, we'll analyse it. Well, I suppose, to be honest, it is the old, the, uh, like, like all of the best things in life. I suppose the one thing that organised religions are great at doing is in robbing customs from the one, the custom, the, the tradition that came before them and the Christian, the early Christian church were, were pretty expert at it. So most of the major holidays of the year, and I suppose they stand to reason anyway because they're marking the end of one thing and beginning the, beginning the next period and, you know, we're all familiar with Anishtak Tanarig Began Laudal Kinshina, which is uh, the famous poem from Mayo about the start of spring. Um, and that, of course, thankfully, you know, after something I campaigned for a long number of years, but with a lot of encouragement from my my mother, which is Lala Brida is now a national holiday. So St. Bridges Day is now a national holiday. But again, as we know, a much older festival of Imbolc, uh, which was taken into the Christian faith and the whole persona of, of, of Bridget built around it. Uh, likewise with Samhain. But so do they take it in? Because it, it sits between Lawnamorov, doesn't it? So so when do the Catholic or the, the Christian faith get involved in it? I, I wasn't aware that they had. Well, I, I mean, you know, you have all, all Saints Day, All Souls Day, yes. and, and they are very much marked by that. And 
you know, most of what I've read is that it was borrowed from previous cultures, whether it be paganism in Ireland or from other cultures at that time of the year. I mean, Harvest is a huge festival, um, you know, in, in Francis de Vendange with, with the, the wine season. Uh, it's Harvest all over the world where people celebrate, I suppose, as it's best described, a time of plenty. So, I mean, I know on our own garden, there are still apples waiting to be picked off the, the few trees that we have in the backyard. And you want to get those off, Sean? They should have been brought to Saver Kilkenny and <laughs> yes, squeezed over the weekend, but, but, you but they weren't. Yeah, so, so the harvest. So traditionally this this uh, festival would have marked the end of the harvest, so all the, the hard work, the labour was done, and now we're reaping the benefit and we're going to celebrate that. And then coinciding with that, Mark is looking scared, and rightly so, Mark, <laughs> because it's, it's the thin veil where... It gives a window, I think, to spirits and those that have passed to come back and do what? And say hello? Well, say hello or haunt people. I mean, I'm looking at a, at a, at a little poem from um, the Museum of Country Life, which I think was was collected in, in Mayo. And it's very simple. It's Puki i Hauna, And it says, the doors on the latch, the turf burns red, turn low the lamp and go to bed. For on this night, them that's away could be back again out of the clay they'll come in the dark to the warm turf from the cowl sod and the wet surf so I love that, go. very absolutely. nice absolutely, crawling in from the sea and all those kind of things and and you know it's, it's um, you know we'd all have had those traditions and I suppose again in, in, in Irish mythology you'd have had the famous story of the, the, the fur bullock being driven underground and, you know, that notion that the, 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 the Dinashi or the fairies were lived underground and in most of our parishes, even out, I was trying to look for it last week, um, out in Outrat, which is on Ra Uchtruch, they're supposed to be uh, a fairy fort and the traditions always were that those were where the fairies lived and they'd come out in the night of Iahauna and they'd do their dancing and, you know, I remember a great book in, in written by a former staff member in Grace Colossary, Brian Devaldre from from our boy in Waldron from from um from Freshford who now lives up in, in County Derry and he has a great book called In Command Driochte and it's about the the, the, the the hurling match that took place on Iahona between the representatives, the, the team of the fairies and the team of the locals and the great match that went on around around all of that which might be nearly as good as what happened in Oldham Park last Sunday. <laughs> well, I don't think um, the boys would agree with but, that. But yeah, who won but the match, won the, fairies the fairies or the locals? I, yes. I'm trying to remember who won it. I think the fairies always win. I think they're they're, they're the unbeatable. Best yeah, they're unbeatable. Do you know what absolutely. I find really interesting though? Because when I was younger, I would always have assumed that we were bringing in those Americanisms and we were getting taken over by America. But actually, it's quite the opposite that we sent our traditions their way, which I think is lovely. I, my mother used to go absolutely ballistic about trick or treat. She just felt it. Where does that come from? Ultimate, the ultimate kind of sabotage of Irish culture. Yes, but I don't uh, think that's oh, an American the trick yes, or treat yeah, yeah. is American. But the other thing, Sean, the bonfire, which was to ward off yeah. the evil spirits, and I think I'm never sure whether it's Barnbrack, Barnbrack, or whatever else. Barnbrack. Barnbrack. What? Yeah. I don't know quite what the real name of it is, but yeah. that that came very much from our pagan uh, festival. Absolutely, yeah. and I mean you. Know, that I came across some beautiful bits and pieces today and you know of the real traditions and my mother would always you know our two kids are very unfortunate in that their um, their birthdays were yesterday uh, sorry the day before yesterday the 29th and of course they always 
about the insistence of my own mom, they became Halloween parties as well as birthday parties. Okay, which the kids really loved, and you know, and and there was no, there were none of these foreign games, or there were none of the plastic costumes. It was all, you know, the 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 face and the in the in the plate of flour, and trying to fish the coins out of the flour with your teeth, which can go very badly wrong at times, and, and end <laughs> all up with all these going, and you know the bobbing for the apples in in the the Boshi Nishka. But there's probably and lovely stories to go with those, as in the reason I don't know about the flower one, but the but certainly the ones uh, you know with the the ring, and I suppose it was the. Uh, the idea of the future being told and, and and that was a big element I think of the festival. Mark, what goes on in your house? What traditions Actually, do you... Actually a lot of those traditional games used to go on in our house and you know Halloween can be quite a happy time then in terms of the memories you create mm. for chi- chi- children and in my own childhood I could remember many funny episodes of my, with, with my parents you know the swinging apple at the doorway uh, hunting for things in the basin of water and, you know, the face of your father or mother, you know, covered in water, covered in flour <laughs> and so right. on. It's a great family occasion when it's that. And um, trick or treat can't take away from that if the doorbell's ringing all the time. You're going to even more sweets left. Yeah. You know, but can I ask you a question, actually? Um, the straw man tradition. Yeah, I, about I suppose the straw man tradition in Kerry, again, a lot of these things get mixed up because I suppose back to the Tinaknov or the... Or the the um the the bonfire it really was associated in Kerry with Saint John's Night, which of course oh, yes. is midsummer. So yeah. it's eat Tintaknov and they have won, and would have been would have been the Midsummer's festival. And again, that's an old pagan festival, just like Bjelton is an old pagan festival. But the strawman in our area, I suppose, is different. It it's it's Law and Drolene, so it's it's the Saint Stephen's Day or the Rand's Day, and I know that the Mummers in Wexford would have. It would have been at a different time of the year. There, there wouldn't have been. There wouldn't have been an emphasis in our area in South Kerry on dressing up and going around houses on for Iahona. It's actually Law Labrida. So the biggest, the most important festival for us is one called the Biddy. So even though you have the famous Boys of Barn Estrada song, which talks about going hunting for the rain. That was very much a smaller tradition in our area than going out as as was called on the biddy um on the eave of St. Bridget. So again like And was the it the Ahone, same thing that you went house to house singing? You went house to house, but it was adults, not kids. Not kids and yeah. and uh, actually the kids were more associated with with the rain. So they went around with the the, the branch and the little pretend ran which would have been made up and some you know in old tradition they hunted the ran and put a dead ran in the tree which of course we, we you wouldn't be allowed to do now well, you don't see and much of it though but does that still happen down in Curry? the ran is extremely but the, strong the breeder in, one in, in, in the, the breed is very specific to our area so it's it's Ivra it's Carsevine Waterville Valencia it's still very strong in our area and now of course like the ran in Dingle it has become um, a, a charity fundraiser. So basically, people go out. The tradition until very recently was you went out and you collected money and then you bought a few barrels of porter <laughs> and there was a band hired and there was a biddy ball and that still goes That's ahead. Still strong. But now the money goes to, you know, the local care for yes. the elderly committee or, you know, a good local charity that, or maybe a local hospice or, you know, the mom that I'm talking about unfortunately is in a small community hospital and, you know, some of the funds go to that. I remember years ago we were singing we were hunting because the wren was a big tradition um, in my household but anyway we were singing in in a bar and a very enterprising group of young 
gentlman came in with the caps while we were singing and they cleaned up yeah, so when no, we came around there we've already know. we've already contributed <laughs> but you know what I love though as well the way the traditions change area to area and mm. I think that would be due to the fact that it was word of mouth that carried those traditions for obvious Absolutely. reasons and until the yeah. monks kicked in and started writing stuff down mm. it was is it Bail Ithacus is that what we call Bailidus, it yeah, Bailidus Bailidus which literally is education, education from by the mouth, mouth. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so the it's that idea and then how things change and how it's just it's so rich isn't it ah, yeah. Sean Oregon and Mark Craddock are here with me we're talking about the festival of sound we're going to take a small break and we're going to come back and do a little bit of philosophizing after Ooh. the break <laughs> TFI Local Link operate over 1300 door to door bus services nationwide if you live on or near one of the routes just pre-book the day before you travel simple then off you pop from your front door off to the shops off to training or even off to the chipper and fares now cost 20% less find the door-to-door bus routes in your area on transportforireland.ie if you're on our route we're on our way TFI Local Link is part of the Transport for Ireland network damaged tires can have terrifying consequences so get a grip get four continental tires for the price of three at best drive because the best drives are the safest ones best drive by continental you drive we care this is an emergency appeal from unicef for children affected by the crisis in gaza right now hundreds of thousands of children are in extreme danger they need medical supplies shelter and clean water unicef is on the ground in gaza Please donate now at unicef.ie. Thank you. With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Unani Valdenig. Now, it is The Art Show, but we're going to do a little bit of philosophising here or something akin to that. I'm joined in studio by two learned men, Mark Craddock and Sean O'Argon. So, gentlemen, here's a bit of work that I want you to do for me. I got, I was gifted this beautiful book. It's called Sunrise, Poems to Kickstart Your Day. And can I just say, I love when a bit of art is thrown your way by somebody. So I would never in a million years have picked this up, but I love it. You, you open up a random page and you find a wonderful poem. They are categorised by theme. So one of them, for example, is courage. Another is advice giving. Today's one was courage. And here's the poem. So I want your thoughts on this. It's called No Enemies. Are we ready? I'm actually getting shy now because it's a great test feed in the house and on Voster, so I don't know what I've let myself in for. Anyway, here it is. You have no enemies, you say. Alas, my friend, that boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes. If you have none, small is the work that you have done. You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the fight. A poet, a Scot, if you don't mind, called Charles McKay. And I want your thoughts on that little bit of wisdom-philosophy-nonsense. Well, Mark. well, it's got a little bit of punch to it, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it hits. But do we agree? In the world where being absolutely PC is what you've got to be, where you could be cancelled as quick as one would look at you, do we need to throw that in the bin? Well, I think the sentiment of, uh, if I'm right, of um, not making a wrong a right, uh, not take, being proactive to right a wrong, uh, is is important. And it's 
is probably very prescient in terms of having that at the moment too with mm. what's going on in the world in, in different communities uh, especially you mentioned cancer culture you know when we see somebody being victim of a cancer culture mm. um, unfortunately those who shout loudest are the ones being heard by far the most uh, in what we can see so I think it's certainly something to ponder what the poem mm. brings up Yes and Sean Oregon well, it did strike me, you know, I was down at a demonstration about Gaza outside the town hall two weeks ago and it did strike me today that Halloween is almost less frightening than looking at television at the moment and mm. watching the news. And, you know, I mean, I saw a, an astounding piece of video on the Guardian website this morning of a little child searching for his brother who was reunited with him. And, you know, it, you know, it, it, it really is. So I suppose maybe the courage... Uh, tonight is to actually allow our kids just to have a bit of fun with the whole and not to think too much about what else is going on in the world. But I, I do agree. I mean, I think we have to have courage. We have to have people of courage and we have to have people who are willing to speak their mind. And, you know, lots of people I agree. And, you know, I mean, for instance, we're dancing on the head of the pin at the moment about whether we can criticise the state and if we criticise the state are we criticising the people of the faith of that state and being anti-Semite rather than being pro-human pro rights I mean you know and and, and hopefully I mean I, you know again I mentioned them on this station last week two magic people that lived in, in Kilkenny Varad and Boj Zur who are back in Israel for the last couple of years peace activists wonderful dreamers and visionaries about how the world can be a better place and I know they are heartbroken in the last couple of weeks so I would love to think that I would have 10% or 5% of their courage at the moment. Indeed, well a nice note to leave it on. I want to say a huge thanks to Mark Craddock of uh, Carlos Little Theatre Society and the very, very best of luck to you Mark, to you and Thank yours you. on the rest of the circuit and to Shauna Argon Samhain expert, pagan expert Sean, if I may. Oh, <laughs> and come here, I wanted to play a little piece of music. This has got a tenuous link to, to Samhain and to Halloween but I think any excuse to hear a little bit of the late Sinead O'Connor and Shane McGowan, we won't get much of it but we'll get a little bit from me, Unity Valdanik. I'm going to say it's none. Thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is the Art Show on KCLR with Unanee Valdenig.